Okay, let's have a word of prayer, and then if you'd like to take your scriptures and turn over to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to walk through sections uh, of the book of Philippians this morning uh, to prepare our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come here this morning, and we just praise you for uh, not just all the moms that are here, but everybody that's here. And uh, Lord, we know how difficult it is uh, day in and day out, and uh, sometimes as Christians, we need to realize that uh, because of the joy of Christ, uh, we need to laugh. And sometimes because of the joy of Christ, we need to realize that there's so many others and they need to experience your joy. And so, Lord, thank you for this amazing morning. And most of all, thank you for your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, we're wrapping up our series. We've talked about uh, the mission statement of the church and the values of the church. We're going to get into our last value. Uh, but the mission statement, let me repeat that again, is people helping people growing generations of Christ-led influencers. And then we began to unpack the values. In other words, how do you take a mission statement and move it forward? Uh, the first thing we talked about is that we live as if God owns everything. We talked about what it means to mentor across generations, what it means to think like an everyday missionary. Last week, we talked about telling life-changing faith stories. And today, the value is to create an atmosphere that is fun and refreshing. Now, you may think that does not apply to the church. The church is never supposed to be fun and refreshing. And the sad truth is all of us have experienced church in our life in that way. Uh, we've got friends that have experienced church. where they. I hear this all the time. They say, I'm not going back to church. Why? Well, I feel judged when I go to church. Or, There's a bunch of hypocrites where I go to church, which is absolutely true. Today, we are a room full of hypocrites. Would you all agree? Starting right here. So anybody says hypocrites, just say, you know what? Get in line. We're all hypocrites. We all fall short of the glory of God. Do you agree with that? But we also need to realize that because of Jesus Christ, we need joy in our life. And we need to realize that the church needs to be a fun place. And uh, that's why today we just, some of you may think, why are you giving away flowers? Why are you having a photo booth? And we're just trying to say there are times that the church needs to step back and just have fun. I say that because, to be honest, sometimes the church is, is its own worst enemy. Now, this is old school, and I'm about ready to read you, but there's still plenty of churches that do this. Sherwood Oaks did this years ago, too. Uh, I will say Sherwood Oaks tried very hard to have positive messages. But how many of you drove by those churches that have the big message board, and they have real clever sayings on their board. And then sometimes you're like, oh, my land, you got to be kidding me, because they're almost depressing. But here's a few uh, that I read recently, church signs. Uh, this is pretty interesting. Here's one that says, uh, choose the bread of life or you are toast. Now, that's not encouraging. That's not encouraging, okay? Okay. Uh, here's another church sign. Adam and Eve were the first people not to read the apple terms and conditions. That, I didn't say it was funny, I just thought it was clever. Okay, now here's one that's depressing. Honk if you love Jesus, text while you're driving, and you'll meet him soon. Now, that's just a gentle reminder not to text. Now, this is what I love is so many churches, we still have hard copy bulletins, and you know that there's all these announcements that go in the bulletins, uh, which, by the way, I'm just going to tell you straight up, my least favorite thing to do every Sunday, announcements, without a doubt. Just, just throw it out. Okay, so uh, here's what's in uh, some of the church bulletins. New class, <laughs> don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Now, see that sometimes <laughs> you just got to add a comma. 
here's, here's one that's just ridiculous. This evening's sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to the choir practice. So, just a thought. The sad truth is, think of all the people that, when they think about church, they just think, well, that's where you go to be miserable. And that's where you go to, to just, uh, just soak in misery. And I think that's so sad because of the joy we should have in Jesus Christ. So I just, this morning, I wanted to walk through what I think for me is one of the most uplifting scriptures, and that's the book of Philippians. And I just want to take little sections, and I wanted you to see through these one-word descriptions what I believe the church is called to be and uh, what the church is called to do. And the first word is simply this. It's the word gratitude. Gratitude. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, what is the things we tell our kids and our grandkids time and time again? You have to say, please. You need to say, thank you. And as adults, we need to realize that we still need to understand the power of those words. Thank you that we need to have gratitude in our lives, that we need to experience what it is to be gracious and to be grateful for what God has done for us. One of the things that I do in my life, and uh, actually we do this in our life group, when we get between a series, uh, we'll set aside a night and we do a thing called ACTS, and ACTS is A-C-T-S, and I know I may have shared this before, but I want you to jot these uh, letters down, ACTS, and here's what it stands for, Adoration, Confession, supplication, thanksgiving. So if you're with the group, here's how it starts. Adoration is just in general, what is it you love about God? So let me ask you that. Just in general, what's something when you think about God, you thank God for what in general? What? Grace. What else? Forgiveness. See, uh, you could spend an entire hour just on that alone. God's grace, God's forgiveness. And uh, we need sometimes just to say, God, I'm just so uh, thankful. I just want to lift up praise, and you lift those up. Confession. Uh, sometimes it's good to get in smaller groups and say, what is it you need to be working on? I mean, what's keeping you up at night? What is it that is separating you right now from experiencing God's love and God's grace? Thanksgiving. Now, there's a big difference between adoration and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is when you get very specific. God, I want to thank you for and fill in the blank. I just want to thank you for and then just start thinking about those things. For example, right now we have a, a little puppy. That was not a smart move, but he's a, he's a mix between, um, I think it's a, it's a beagle and Satan. Okay, so he's just, <laughs> he's just hyper. He's just so hyper. And chewing stuff. You guys know the drill. He's chewing And I'm just like, oh, my land. And, uh, you know, you're just about to the end of your rope. And then like last night, he comes up 
and he just cuddles up right by me. I'm like, oh, I can't stand you, but I love you. You know, I mean, it's just, and, that, and you're just thankful. See, it's all these little things. That's what we talked about in our prayer time this morning. Make a list of those very specific thank yous. And then I love supplication. And that is when you finally get to, uh, Lord, here are the, the needs of others, specific needs of others. I share that with you because that's a formula. It helps pull me out of a funk sometimes, and hopefully it'll help you. I think it's important to understand how gratitude works in the heart of Paul when he wrote this. See, when Paul wrote this church in uh, uh, the Philippian church, uh, he had been there before in one of his early missionary journeys. Uh, He fell in love with the people. He's in prison now, and he's reflecting upon the times that he had with them. And he remembers that even while he was going to prison, they were there financially supporting him and helping him. And he had such a warm place in his heart. And so when you read through Philippians, you read this huge thank you letter of encouragement. They mean a lot. Thank yous. I want you to think about the people in your life who have been strong for you when you were weak. I want you to think about the people who you know have your back. We all need those kind of friends. And you don't need a lot of those kind of friends, but you need those kind of loyal friends. And you know what? You need to be that kind of friend and be grateful for that. The second word is simply the word servanthood, Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Servanthood. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in all appearances as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross, humility, servanthood. Um, This is a poem that I read years ago, and I keep it with me uh, because it's just a reminder of what servanthood really is. And when you really serve other people, you serve other people with the heart of um, not caring if anyone knows or if anybody sees you caring for somebody else. It's not a photo opportunity It's being the hands and feet of Christ. And this is by Ruth Harms Kalkin. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at a woman's club. You know how uh, effervescent I am when I promote fellowship groups. And you know my genuine enthusiasm as I lead a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, If you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew, that's servanthood. It's to say, Lord, I want to serve you the way that you served us. And how did Jesus serve us? Well, first of all, we see in the text, he says, he served us with his mind. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ, it tells us in verse 5. And what was the mind of Christ? Jesus wasn't nearly 
interested in information as he was transformation. Jesus didn't want people to just learn a bunch of facts. He wanted to see people transformed by the living word. Information, that's okay. We need to know all that we can about God's word. But what God's interested in is not how often and how well we quote scripture. What's he want to know? Put it in motion. And how do you put it in motion? By having the mind of Jesus Christ and the mind of Christ is to always think of others' interests before our own. And then we are to have the hands of Jesus. That's verses 6 through 8. And you look at what Jesus did and you look at his example and everything he did, his very nature was that of a servant. Everything he did was about humbling himself for others. We are called to serve others with the mind of Christ and with the hands of Christ. The third word is moxie. It's a word I absolutely love, moxie. Moxie means a force of character, determination, or nerve. It's grit. It's just that inner toughness. Philippians 3, I love this, starting in verse 10. I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings become him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this. I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what is ahead, pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which Jesus Christ has called me heavenly bound in Christ Jesus. There's a phrase there throughout Philippians that I love, and it's that simple two-word phrase, in Christ. It's used nearly a hundred times, either in a noun or verb form. I am in Jesus Christ, and when I am in Jesus Christ, I have the power to move forward and to press on. Now, it's interesting, in this language, in the New Testament, the Greek language, uh, there were two metaphors they used for that phrase, press on. The first was a hunter tracking his prey. That's interesting. The second one was an athlete who was competing, pressing on. So my question this morning, what is it right now you need to press on and you need to fight through? And I mean you need to fight through it. I'll be honest, sometimes I think Christians are too passive. I think we're like, I just pray about it. I just, okay, don't get me wrong. We need to pray. But I think sometimes God is saying, get up, press on. Fight for this thing. Fight through this thing. Because the spirit in us is not a spirit of weakness. And God says, come on, you can do this. That's what Paul is saying. Hundreds of miles away, sitting in a prison cell, he's pinning these words to his friends. And he's saying, you've got to press on. You've got to fight for this thing. Now think about that. All of us have things in our life that we just need to dig deep and press on. Martin Luther King said this, if you cannot run, walk. If you cannot walk, then crawl. But every, whatever you do, you have to move forward. If you were born... Uh, before 1942, would you stand up? I'm going to make you stand up again. If you were born before 1942, would you stand up? I want you to give all these folks a huge hand. Do that, okay? Now, 
I'm going to allow you to sit down. Okay, years ago, um, at my mom's funeral, I couldn't stop thinking about Tom Brokaw's book. It's called The Greatest Generation. And I made an oath to my mom, and my, my oath to my mom was I would never do a funeral uh, for anyone who was a part of that generation that I didn't personally thank them for what they had done. Because I grew up with the greatest generation. My mom and dad, uh, I, I grew up with folks who lived through the greatest generation. And there's a lot of descriptions that I have for the greatest generation. But you know, I think the word that is the perfect word is moxie. There is an inner toughness that I learned watching uh, my mom and others. I mean, life was never easy. Going through the depression, going through the wars, all the things they went through, and there was this inner like fight. And I love that fight. So for all of you that are part of that greatest generation, I want to thank you for your moxie and what you have given all of us because we don't take enough time to thank you for what you've done. And uh, it means more than you know. You have made a difference in ways that you have no idea. Uh, there are times, even with my own kids, I'm like, man, I wish I was as tough as my mom uh, so that you could learn uh, of what you have done for all of us. Moxie, we need more moxie. And then last, last of all is simply the word joy. Philippians 4. Starting in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request before God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I love this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I love that Paul's not trying to write a Hallmark card here, and he's like, life's going to be hard, but rejoice. Now, that word rejoice isn't like the word that we use, happiness. Have you ever heard people, they'll say, all I want in life is I just want to be happy. And I'm like, are you, are you stupid? I mean, seriously. I just want to be happy. You know why? What, do you know what the word happy means? It means happenstance, okay? It means something has to happen in order for me to have a good day. Now, if that's how you live your life, think how disappointed you're going to be. You know, if I could just live in this home, I would be happy. If I could just drive this car, I'd be happy. If I could just have this job. Listen, that is, a, that is a road to destruction when you live that way. Now, joy has nothing to do with what happens. Joy is this inner strength that comes through Jesus Christ. It's like, Lord, I know life is going to be hard. I know there's going to be difficult days, but I know that there, and I love in verse 7, there's a peace that you give me that goes beyond understanding. Now, here's something I think that the church needs to wake up to, and that is anxiety that he talks about here is very, very real. And I'm thankful that the church is talking about it more. I read an article in Relevant Magazine about what the church needs to learn. And here were a couple of the lessons in that article. First of all, that anxiety or mental illness is not a sin. I think sometimes we have people that are really dealing with 
deep, deep issues sometimes of depression and anxiety, and we are like, here's three scriptures, pray about it, and it'll all be okay. Folks, it's complicated. It's not that easy. And we need to do everything we can to, to show others the joy of Jesus Christ, but also do everything we can possibly do to help understand the anxiety that they face. Uh, I know that there are people, honestly, coming to church, even the experience of going to church is extremely anxious to just be in a room of people. I, I understand that. And I just want you to know I'm, we're praying for you because I know this is real. The second thing is the Bible does not provide easy answers. That's what I love about the scripture. This is a, do these three things and you'll be happy. No, the, the scripture is so clear that in our suffering, there is a peace beyond understanding. There is a joy. And that the church can believe it or not, even in the midst of that suffering, can actually have fun together because of the joy that we have in Christ. Faith does not make it easy. Faith makes it possible. Faith doesn't make it easy, but it does make it possible. And that's, that's all Paul is sharing with us. I, um, I wanted to share something with you that uh, this was years and years ago, and he's still alive, uh, but he, he had a major influence on me. His name was Tony Campalo. And Tony Campalo shared this story years ago, and it has just stuck with me. And I thought on this day, as we talk about joy, I want you to realize that all of you have a tremendous opportunity, you don't even realize it, to make an impact on other people's lives by just taking time to invest in other people's lives. Uh, this is a story about a teacher who honestly did not like her job at all. Uh, she was a fifth grade teacher, and uh, her name was Miss Thompson, and Miss Thompson had this little guy that was coming through, and honestly, she kind of dreaded having him. Uh, he was a troubled kid. Uh, if he wasn't depressed, then he was acting out. And uh, even though she knew his story, she knew that his mom had died from cancer a couple years earlier, uh, knew that he had a very tough home life, but that didn't help her uh, when he was in class. And so the first semester went by, and she was just looking so forward to Christmas vacation. She just couldn't wait to get away from the kids, and especially this little guy named Teddy. And so the kids all brought, you remember back in the day when you give the kids, all the teachers, uh, these little cheap little gifts. And so the kids gathered around her desk and she started opening these little gifts and wrapped in a paper sack was a gift from Teddy. And the kids were kind of laughing at Teddy. And she realized that right away. And she said, oh, no, no, this is going to be special. She opens it up and it is a little bracelet, but a couple pieces are broke out of it. And then there's a bottle of perfume, but the perfume is nearly empty. And she immediately realized the kids were going to start laughing. She said, oh, no, this is the, my favorite perfume. And she put it on her wrist, and she put it all around. She goes, oh, that smells so good. And uh, at the end of the day, all the kids left except Teddy. And he said, um, you look so good in my mom's bracelet, and you smell just like my mom all day. And when um, she left that day, she was a different teacher. She was actually a different human. She realized, I'm not a teacher because it's a job. I'm a teacher because I've been given a privilege to invest in these kids, starting with Teddy. He's going to be moved to the front, and he's going to realize he's a special kid. And so the rest of that semester went by, and uh, she began teaching totally different. Well, years went by. And she got this little card. Dear Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from high school. I wanted you to be the first to know. 
Love Teddy. Of course, he's a guy, so he didn't leave an address, return address. And he had moved away, so she had no idea where he was. And then four years later, she got another card. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I was second in my class at college. It's not as easy as high school, but I really liked it. Four years go by again. Dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stoddard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm going to be married the 27th of July. My dad passed away a year ago. I want to know if you'll come to the wedding. You're the only family I have left. And so she went, and she sat where Teddy's mother would have sat because she deserved to be there. She was the teacher who had done something great for the kingdom of God, and this was her reward. So for all the moms that are here, I want to say thank you for what you have given to all of us. But for all of you that are here that have been a mom for somebody else and you didn't even realize it, I want to thank you. I thank all the people in my life that have stepped up and in many ways did exactly what my mom would have done. And I think of how many have unselfishly done that for so many people, and sometimes you get so exhausted. I want you to know you are making a difference. Every one of you are making a difference. That's how you experience the joy of Jesus Christ.